So you got a whole uh, alpha team now, don't you? But you, but you have a wealth of knowledge that is beneficial to a lot of people, and it we can move the needle. How often do you hear a hunting podcast? We talked about this. People relate to this. Welcome to Kafaru Cast, everyone. I have got two fine gentlemen on the other line. Took me a minute to figure out how to use Skype, but uh, they uh, these guys recently uh, were on a pretty crazy hunt. Um, one of the individuals was able to shoot a pretty amazing ram, but uh, that's Caleb Brewer and Ryan the Creature. <laughs> um, and I appreciate you guys <laughs> hopping on. Yeah, absolutely, Thanks, man. Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah, no, no problem at all. So I've known uh, Ryan for a while, um, and then I've followed you for a little while, Caleb. But why don't you guys talk a little bit about yourselves, the hunt, uh, just so everybody kind of has a history of of what you guys do, and then how the hunt kind of got going. Yeah. So, uh, hey, everybody. My name is Caleb Brewer. Um, I was in the military for about 11 years as a green beret and I got um, blown up in Afghanistan ended up becoming a double amputee, uh, lots of huge backstory and all that stuff. But um, recently I got a chance to go hunting for bighorn sheep with Ryan Gentry and another dude, Ryan Smith. And it was a pretty epic hunt. And um, it's been, it's just been awesome compared to a lot of stuff that I've been on recently and uh, super successful in this hunt. So I'm really grateful to, to have had that experience and, uh, yeah, man. So I don't know, Ryan, if you want to introduce yourself and then I can get into the story or however you guys want to go about this. Yeah. So, uh, I'm Ryan, uh, go by Ryan, the creature on the old gram. Uh, I am still active duty air force. Um, been in about 16 years. Uh, and, uh, I actually met Caleb through a veteran nonprofit that I work with and he got talking about, you know, just his story and how he's, fell in love with hunting and and then he was donated a bighorn sheep tag and texted me and, and was, we were talking about it and it just kind of the way it all kind of fell together and we had never met each other prior to that point other than on some zoom calls and stuff and uh so i i told him i was like man anything you need i'm there and that's kind of kind of where this story started for us gotcha so how um well, talk one a little bit about which that's important, you know, to this because uh, Caleb doesn't have any legs and uh, hunts his ass off. So talk yeah. a little, a little bit about <laughs> kind of how that is, uh, you know, obviously it's affected your life, but obviously you're you're also still getting after it. Um, you know, adapting to that just because we, we have a lot of uh, veterans that kind of listen in. And, uh, yeah, I think that'd be a little bit, you know, motivational for a lot of guys and, and gals. And then, uh, yeah, how you got the tag and, you know, just shoot the shit about, shoot the shit about that. Yeah, man. So um, when I got – before I got blown up in Afghanistan, I actually never – hunted in my life before I'd always been outdoors and I've always, you know, camped and hiked and shooting guns and all the kind of outdoor stuff. And so I got injured in December of 2015, which, uh, December 4th, 2015, which was my 31st birthday. So now that day is my live day and my birthday. So it has like a really cool meaning to it. But, um, I had, uh, never hunted. And in, in 2018, a dude from New Mexico named Jesse Gregson with a foundation that takes disabled kids and veterans on hunts reached out to me and said, Hey, we want to take you on a, uh, an odd ad hunt in Rio Dosa, New Mexico. And I didn't know anything about anything. And I was like, 
yeah, that sounds pretty cool. So yeah, that sounds good. I'll go out there. So we went out there and he ended up surprising me with two of my buddies I had served with. They just randomly showed up. Uh, he, he got these awesome, really patriotic red blooded Americans out there and we freaking shot a sheep and it was awesome. And I had to work my ass off because like I, I had walked around and trained myself to be good on flat surfaces, you know, sidewalks and, you know, wood flooring or whatever, but outdoors, there's no, nothing's the ADA. So you got to just look at the train and just figure out a way to get through it. So we had to hike up some pretty steep stuff and I ended up stalking after a really big sheep on day one and I missed him. And so it like lit a fire in me. I was like, I'm not missing the next sheep. So we ended up spending the rest of the day out there and just by half its chance ended up blasting up some really good sheep and we made a move through some stuff and uh, some pretty hilly terrain i wouldn't say it was quite mountainous and then i ended up um, getting um put my hands on the first animal i'd ever shot with the rifle and it was pretty awesome and it it just it lit a fire in me on hunting i was like why have i never done this before and so the rest of Ever since then, from 2018 to now, I've been devoted myself to hunting as one of my passions. And so I've gotten into archery recently. I had a, a bow donated to me um, a couple years after that um, through a, like a, as a wounded veteran. And I just got started with archery and I loved it. I've worked with some, some nonprofits, uh, Operation Enduring Warrior, and now Nodens. I'm working with them. And I, uh, I've done a lot of stuff in the archery scene for disabled veterans. And now I ex- actually own my own archery shop in Tucson um, called Stick Sniper Archery. And that's been just an amazing thing. And so I've been bow hunting and like crazy. And, in, and I live in Tucson, Arizona, and all the hunting out here is spot and stock. You sit on a hill and you glass them up for a long ways away. And then you got to make a move on them. And there's a lot of coos whitetail out here, which are super skittish and they're, they're, they're pretty difficult to hunt. I haven't been able to shoot one with my bow yet, but it's on the to-do list. And, um, I've just hunted and hunted. And what happens is I beat myself up pretty hard. Like, because I mean, I can be, I can, I can tough it out for a lot of things. I'm walking around on my legs, but over time it takes its toll. And so I have to spend a lot of time in the gym lifting weights and staying pretty fit so that I can get out and I can walk around even with, you know, I use hiking poles. And so that's kind of like my mobility device out there. But this year alone, I've I've put probably 70 days of hunting in the field um, since January and it's been amazing. I've learned a ton. I've been on some great hunts and, you know, had a chance to be around a lot of really cool animals. And um, in Arizona, the way the hunting uh, process works is if you are unable to make your hunt, you can donate your tag to uh, a nonprofit that facilitates disabled veteran or disabled kids going on hunts. So since I've only been hunting for four years now, I was like, well, I'm probably never going to hunt bighorn sheep because I'm way behind trying to get points in the system. So I just assumed I'm never going to do it. And so I was, I through my shop, I did a fundraiser um, for node ends to raise money for this. We're putting on a, uh, a veteran hunt in January here. And it, I think, I think everything happens for a reason. And I'm not the kind of person that does things looking for things in return. It's never like my goal. I just, I want to put good out into the world with zero expectation of anything returned because when people get better together, then it just benefits everybody. So I don't, I'm not looking for stuff, but it was just crazy how it happened because Wednesday night on November 16th, which was the exact one year anniversary of me starting this, this archery shop and inputting my credit card information to donate the 2,500 bucks that we had raised to note ends. And as I'm doing it, I get a call from 
another nonprofit called Outdoor Experience for All. And they said, hey, we have a bighorn sheep tag for you. And I was like, there is no freaking way. I Like, I, I'm sitting there just kind of stunned. And they had given me tags in the past. And so my first re- response was, hey, you know, I appreciate it, but I'm going to decline. Let's get somebody else a tag because you guys have really blessed me quite a bit. And the guy just essentially told me to shut up. And he's like, listen, the, the hunt starts Friday. It is now Wednesday. And nobody else can make it. And this tag will get burned. Um, giving back to giving fish if nobody can take, if you can't take it. So I was like, all right, well, if that case, I'm not going to turn it down. So he says, all right, it's a three week hunt starts Friday. And I said, well, I can't even make it out for a week and a half. I've never seen a unit. I've literally never seen a big horn sheep in the wild. He's like, that's fine. And so I was like, what unit is it? And he said, 46 B West in Arizona. And I've never even heard of that unit either. And so I said, all right, I'll figure it out. So I hung up the phone, jumped on Arizona game and fish's website and looked at 46 B West and my heart sank because it is a wilderness area and a no vehicle driving area. And it's a huge unit. And so I was like, Oh my God, what have I done? Like I can, (laughs) I can walk around dude, but, but my cumulative miles day after day after day is, is rough. And I, and I need power because I got on my prosthetics, I got three battery operated things. I have two vacuum pumps, one on each side. And I have a knee, like electronic knee. So it's like, I got to have power. So I didn't really sleep that night. And I woke up the next morning and I called the preserve, the wildlife preserve. And cause I had to get a welcome packet and they said, Hey, you can actually drive in there. We're going to give you special access because you're a double amputee veteran. And I was like, Oh my God, it just, it, it, it freaking made the hunt actually doable. So I was able to take two trucks in there. And over the course of the next week of planning, I had freaking to, I had to plan for this hunt. I had Thanksgiving at my house and I had to be in a wedding and the wedding party. And it was like hot and heavy, but I still had a plan and get it done. And over the course of that week, I linked up with people locally who have shooting ranges with steel out to a mile, got the rifle dialed in. I started talking to people about who can come. I linked up with Ryan Gentry um, and all these other dudes that ended up wanting to come on my hunt. And, um, it was just amazing how it all came together. And I don't know if Ryan, if you want to talk to your part on that, because it was kind of funny how it all played out. Yeah. So to kind of go back to Caleb and his first hunting experience, it's kind of cool for me because Caleb fell in love with hunting in the same place that I grew up hunting. And so when, when he told me where he got his first odd dad and you know, I'm, I'm pretty crazy about killing those things. Um, so it, it was when he was kind of telling me that story, I'm like, dude, man, that's, that's wild that you, you fell in love with hunting in a place that means a lot to me. And so we kind of shared that experience. And then, uh, you know, he had been texting me about, you know, all the, the nonprofit stuff we're doing. And so like a little backstory on Nodens, it's, uh, the nonprofit we, we are part of that they take special operations veterans that's transitioning from service within a year, a uh, year or two out of service. And, we give them bows. Uh, PSC has been taking care of us on getting them bows and you get them set up with archery and kind of teach them archery and bow hunting as a transitionary, you know, program to out of the service to use their same soft skills, uh, and kind of go into hunting. So that's how Caleb and I kind of got connected and we had been working this Arizona hunt coming up in January, uh, where we're going to take, you know, a handful of the guys and take them coos deer hunting and, uh, down in Southern Arizona. And so we had been, you know, talking about that and excited about that. And then he, he, like I said, he randomly texts me a picture of a, of a 46 uh, B West tag. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me, dude. 
And he's like, no, I, I, I just got this tag donated. And so that has always been my first choice for sheep in Arizona. Um, obviously never drawn. And so I told him, I said, man, anything I got to do to help you just, just haul there. I, I'm, I'm close. I'm only in Vegas. So it's a quick drive down. I said, I, I got you whatever days you need, whatever, whatever you need. I, I even joked. I said, if I got to put you in my uh, pack and hike you up the side of a mountain, I'll do that, you know, whatever it takes. Cause this is a really special opportunity for you. Um, and so that, that's kind of where I came into play on that one. And, uh, it, it, it was just awesome to, to see a guy that, that, that deserves this man. Like it, it was really cool to, to see the planning, all, all the preparation he put into it. And I had never hunted with Caleb prior to this. Like I said, I'd never met Caleb in person, only on zoom calls and stuff like that. And he had already killed a, a really nice bull elk in, in Arizona that year. And I'm like, okay, well, I know this dude can hunt. I can see it. You know, you, you can look at his Instagram and knows that he can, he can hammer hard. Um, but I, again, you know, with it being a walk-in and that country being really rugged, I was like, I don't know how this is going to work, but we're going to make it work. You know, like I said, even if I got to pack him up somewhere. <laughs> yeah, you guys were going to have me freaking on, on your meat shelf without my prosthetics, like a little baby <laughs> walking up that mountain, dude. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Well, uh, it's, it's crazy because. Or go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say it's crazy because this freaking ter- this terrain, um, the ter- the Cabeza Prieta down in southern Arizona, it borders Mexico, and it's it is gnarly. Nobody goes in there except for the border patrol. People that have hunted this area, they will they'll walk three to five miles just to get to the mountain. And I've talked to some dudes that have hunted there, and they're like, "Yeah, I put I put you know over well over a hundred miles during my hunt." just walking in this stuff and so to be able to to drive in there is absolutely incredible like it, it, it everything from the moment that the tag came my way all the way running through how it happened at the end it's just i can't i couldn't have asked for a better hunt like it's just it's crazy and i've put and this and this sheep story really it, it's it's not your your normal quintessential sheep story like when people hunt sheep you look at where they live and you're like yep that's going to be difficult i'm going to struggle to get up in there and do a lot of miles it, it it was not even close to that for me which is crazy because all the hunts that i've had you know the past several years have been difficult like i hunted um, archery antelope in arizona here in august i put 60 miles on my feet and just beat my body up and this one i walked to maybe three miles it was crazy so with that, actually, because um, you had talked about, and man, I'm not up on all the different technology on prosthetics. How, how much juice is your knee taking? I, as I'm giggling, I'm thinking, fuck, you'd have to pack a solar panel back there, charge up your <laughs> knee. Like, how does that work exactly? I mean, I'm not laughing at uh, the, the situation, but I'm thinking, huh, you know, and I got a bitch when I got to charge my it's- phone. Fucking Caleb's got to charge his knee up. Like, how's that work? <laughs> Dude, dude, it's, it's, it's crazy. So my go-to system is I got to stay usually near my truck and I get a couple goal zero batteries and I charge them in my truck while I'm driving, or I use a solar panel uh, at base camp, or I do uh, a generator, like a little Honda 1000 generator, but those two battery packs, I charge my legs at night. So I have my knee itself was, was designed by the military for troops that were going to stay in duty after getting injured and losing like just one leg. So it's super ruggedized. It's like waterproof Bluetooth connection to an app on my phone, hydraulic pneumatic, and it'll last like five days, which is really, really good. But these, I have a vacuum pump on either side and basically it sucks the prosthetic real tight to my leg. So I don't have extra sweat. It doesn't spin around in circles. It doesn't fall off. Those things will last maybe two days. 
And the problem is, is like the, the system that keeps it tight. It's like a sleeve, like a neoprene sleeve that creates the seal that usually gets holes punctured in it. So I got to be real careful about that. But, um, so what I did last year, um, last year I went to Idaho to the Selway, uh, for elk and I did a backcountry like a spike camp with my buddies for three days. And what I did is I took extra vacuum pumps and I just packed them in my pack and then left them at our spike camp. And then, and then when I needed to charge them or when I needed to, you know, new batteries, I just swapped them out. But the, the crazy thing is that these vacuum pumps, they're super, they're finicky because they don't like low temperatures. So if it drops close to freezing or below freezing at night, the vacuum pumps won't even turn on in the morning and they'll just beep at me like they have no battery until they warm up. So I have to freaking take these vacuum pumps off my legs every night off the prosthetics and I have to put them in my sleeping bag between my legs and sleep with them. And then every, and then every day put them back on um, if I'm out there doing that kind of stuff. It's crazy. So technically if you went on another crazy hunt, um, it would be feasible. Like I could throw you in the pack and Ryan could carry your shit, your legs. And then when we got back there, hook it up and then go, or like you could ride a horse in and then just assemble everything. Once you get back there, that's feasible. Oh yeah, man. Like I, the, the, the components that need to be charged, I have spares for everything and I could literally ride a horse or walk in or whatever, and then have the extra spare parts packed in. And then when they run out of juice, just put them back in and that could get me at least a week's worth of juice without having a recharge. Gotcha. And then would a solar panel, if you had a big enough panel, I guess that, that would do it. If you had a a big enough panel, Mm -hmm. I would think. Yeah, I, ha- I can't remember what size I have. I have a, a Golzer Nomad one. It's it's a little old, but as long as I can charge the the battery, like I have the Gold Zero, uh, the Yetis, yeah. I have a Yeti 150 and a, a 105. Those things will charge my prosthetics for about two to three days on one charge. Gotcha. Yeah, because I was recently asked to, um, you know, help out on a hunt like this. Um, it didn't end up panning out same, same kind of situation. And they were, you know, basically were like, Hey, how, you know, how far can you pack 140 pounds? And I'm like, I'm pretty fucking far, but you haven't killed anything yet. And they're like, no, no, the guy. And I was like, Oh yeah, no, I can pack a dude, whatever. Yeah, no problem. And, uh, I, and they were kind of at, you know, the same kind of a thing. I don't know his, his, uh, you know, I didn't get into great detail. I was just like, yeah, I, I've got a big enough pack. I can fit someone in no problem. And then what they were kind of saying, Hey, once we get over the, it, you know, really rough terrain, he's, he's good to go on the, and it was a sheep hunt in, in Arizona that was getting donated. In fact, I was kind of curious as you guys were going off, it was the same tag, uh, but for a different person. So you're, I guess you're, you, you still have quite a few options with that. Cause that, can you ride a horse fairly well? Um, like without the prosthetics, as far as balance go balance goes, or is it easier with them on? I actually haven't ridden a horse since I got injured. So I don't know. I mean, the the hardest part for me would be probably getting onto the horse unless there was like a drop stirrup or something, just because like my, my knee that I have, cause I'm a one below the knee and one above. And then the knee that I do have, that's my own. It's so jacked up. So I can only bend it like maybe 45 degrees of bend. So I'd have to have figure out a way to get my knee up there or my foot in the stirrup. And then I could, at that point I can get on, I could probably just use the horn and pull myself up with my upper body. Well, I've got both legs and I struggle to get on a fucking horse nor, and I don't like them that much. (laughs) Yeah. um. So it's the same thing here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh shit. But I can, but I can walk though, for sure. Like I've walked a bunch. So yeah, man, this dude, it was, uh, it was awesome to hunt with Caleb because I, I, I walk pretty fast. I hunt pretty hard and 
I, I kept looking back and he's just always right there. I'm like, yeah, this dude is awesome. Like just walking across the desert, like smile on his face, like constantly pulling up his binos, looking for the sheep. Like this, he's, 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 you know, acting just like everybody else. Uh, and it was, it was pretty inspirational to hunt with him, to be honest. You know, I, I quickly forgot about your own, your own complaints and your own problems. And, um, but I, I told him many times, I was like, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll flap open the striker XL and put you in here like a diaper and, and carry you up, whatever, if we have to. <laughs> well, that's kind of, I was giggling. Well, him, um, the other, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say like the, the other thing, and he's, you know, no complaints about my legs and situation stuff. Well, we brought another guy along with us named Ryan Smith. And Ryan Smith got a piece of choya through his boot into his toe and would not stop complaining. He just tried to like make it seem like I had no, like nothing to complain about in his freaking choya. Like even after I shot the sheep, he looked at me, he's like, I left that piece of choya in my toe the whole time just for you. And I was like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. that's why i was kind of giggling earlier with the whole as you guys can imagine uh if you pay t- i get i do a lot of q a's and answer questions and um you know some of the problems people come up uh to me with like solving are like not really problems and then caleb uh has a fucking fake knee that you have to charge daily or weekly and then two suction cups hold your legs on i'm like i'm gonna come up with some kind of meme for that so when somebody bitches i'm gonna send them your meme <laughs> Like, go talk to this fucking guy because you should not be complaining. Oh, okay. uh, no, it sucks. I, I mean, but to me, it's worth, it's better than just freaking sitting on the couch and feeling sorry for myself. I mean, dude, I get to see some amazing country. I get to go chase animals. I was just sitting out there glassing yesterday, watching a bunch of mule deer and coos deer, and it's like this is this is it. It is totally worth every little bit of pain. And I've had some crazy pain over the past couple of years, you know, because you just you got, you put some weight. Like when we did that pack in the, to the cellway, I mean, I had like 70 or 80 pounds on my back and we went four miles in and it's like that freaking hurt. But on the flip side, it's like, I'm going to use my body while I can, because I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this 10, 20 years down the road, but I was like, I'm sure as hell going to use it right now while I can. Is everything else holding up pretty good? Um, you know, like hip, hips and everything else with the prosthetics? Because I would imagine like your gait or whatever, that could cause problems like with hip and spine, or is that doing fairly good? It's, it definitely is something that I have to be careful about because like when I, when I bend over to pick something up from the ground, I, don't ha- I can't bend my ankles. I have barely any knee bend on my real knee and the other knee is just this electric knee. So it's like, it's like, I gotta be super careful about my posture, my form. And if I overdo it, I can throw my back out or whatever, but I spend a lot of time in the gym. I have a little gym here at my house and I'm working out my, like, I, I try to, you know, train as you fight kind of thing. Now I train to hunt and it helps out a lot, but there's days where there's pain. Um, and it's just kind of the norm. And I think about, well, shit, I had pain before, you know, before I got injured, you know, body hurts, but overall things are going pretty good. And I found that keeping myself in the gym, at least a couple days a week if i'm consistent about it it helps me when i'm outdoors and it's it's the day it's the weeks or months if i you know go hunting a bunch and i haven't been in the gym a little while then i can actually kind of feel it gotcha so tell us a little bit more about this hunt exactly um you know a little bit more finer details on on this specific hunt with the ram and kind of how all that shook out so I was working with the wildlife refuge 
um, the Cabeza Prieta Wildlife Refuge, and they said, hey, you're going to be allowed to have two vehicles in there at any one time. That I had requested like six because I was like, I'm going to ask for everything I can, and they can tell me yes or no. And they said the reason, too, is because they get hammered pretty hard uh, with the, the wildlife activist groups because they want to keep this place uh, a refuge. And I, I get it because this place is incredibly beautiful. It, it's just it's it's austere um basically so if you, the the cabeza prieta it's i think it's the third largest wildlife refuge in the the states and it's on the border with mexico south east of yuma arizona and it's just the flattest desert you could think of just completely flat desert floor with like white sand like beach sand and then there's creosote bushes that are you know two three feet tall and just an ocean of them. And then every now and then you'll see a mesquite or a saguaro. And then from the bottom are just completely straight up in the air, no build up to it, just these steep, jagged rock mountains. There's no, it's not like dirt, it's just straight rock everywhere. And each rock mountain complex is unique. Like some of them are dark black, some of them have marbling through them, some of them are granite. So it's like, you're just looking at this, this, this uh, skyline from these mountains and it is incredibly beautiful. And so, I, I got there. I got there on day. So Thanksgiving happens. Then Friday, Saturday, I have a wedding. And then Sunday I had buddies in town. And then Monday I, I drove out to the hunt. And so Monday morning I'm leaving the guy that was going with me. One of the guys from my shop that works with me, he's a former game and fish officer. He, uh, he had a flat tire and then he got lost. And so I ended up being there by myself for like the first six hours and just kind of glassing and looking around. And I was just like, this is insane. This like how steep. And it's, I mean, they're not like super tall mountains. The tallest one out there is about 2,500 feet, but they're the, I can't remember that term for the mountain above the sand, the bottom floor, but there's all oh, the prominence. The prominence was pretty good on these mountains. And so once my buddy finally got out there, we didn't start glassing and we drove in there cause he had his truck and I had my truck and we were going to do kind of like spike camping out of our truck in the area to just get a, get a feel for it because we're, we're like, okay, well, if everybody that historically hunts this unit is limited by foot or pack mule, then we're going to go as deep as we can. We may get a chance to see some Rams that people haven't seen or that are very hard to get to. So we started driving real deep in there. And, um, over the course of the first two and a half days, we, um, saw some really good Rams and, took some videos and we're kind of taking some inventory and I've had some crazy hunts this year, just walking and my body's been super beat up. And so I knew when it came, it was game time for the sheep hunt that I needed to be like physically good. I needed to be not beat, beat down from walking a ton. And I already had, and I knew that I had seven total guys coming out there by Saturday. So this was Monday. And, um, so what I did is I stayed on these little dirt roads. I just glassed them the dirt roads. We would be glassing one to two miles away at these sheep, taking a little video saying, hey, that sheep looks like it's pretty good. We're going to get a, a quicker or a closer view of it a little bit later on when everybody else gets here. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm with my buddy Gabe from the shop glassing, and then Gabe had to leave. And so then on Wednesday, Ryan and then the other Ryan Smith and then my buddy Jesse Gregson all came in and Jesse's the one that took me on my very first hunt in New Mexico. And he's like, I'm not missing this big horn sheep hunt. So they all came in and on Thursday, we all went looking for this one Ram that I had seen for just a short amount of time up on this mountain complex. 
and we're look and we we did a couple different glassing positions around this complex and we couldn't find them and so we started looking for some other sheep and we found some other sheep we went in walked about a mile after one and it ended up being a smaller one and then we were looking for some other sheep and we couldn't find them so we decided to drive further in and we were looking at each mountain complex because there was like each mountain complex had one ram that kind of owned it and he would be on the top and so we would like just check each complex looking for rams and um middle of the day we weren't seeing much we were assuming they were coming down low because in the mornings and evenings they're all up top like just super majestic you see a freaking bighorn sheep against the skyline it's it's incredible to see and so thursday midday we we were driving basically into the belly of this unit uh, this place called the cabeza prieta pass and we're driving in and i have a i have a, a ford raptor and it's wider and we're driving in these wash bottoms with narrow narrow creosote bushes and i was like well this is a once in a lifetime hunt so i'm going to do it and then we just get in this thing and they're, <laughs> and they're getting narrower and narrower and you hear that screeching of it against your truck and i'm like oh my god like i don't, I don't know and so I, I looked at my passenger he was the other ryan and the other ryan was like and i told him i was like hey i think i want to turn around um because it's getting super thick and he he was like well you're almost all the way to the pass it opens up up there let's just get up there glass a little bit and then we'll turn around and i said all right so we get to the pass and i start glassing from the truck and then both of the ryans popped up on a little knob and started glassing a little ways and then i i figure i'll let you take it from there ryan because you guys got eyes on what happened yeah so uh ryan smith and i hiked up off uh, probably 200 yards from the truck onto like a little knob and it, it kind of overlooked a really good canyon uh canyon was kind of running back to the southeast um so we get sitting up there uh to start glassing and and it wasn't it had been dead calm this morning that morning no wind no nothing and so we start glassing and just out of nowhere a really strong gust come right off our back hit me right in the back of the neck and pushed right down into this bottom and we weren't real high the elevation of the knob we were on was almost nothing it was just a little knob off the desert floor looking into this canyon uh, a lot of creosote bushes and um some good mesquite trees right there and as soon as that wind hit my neck and dumped right down into the bottom four rams popped up right out of the bottom right up off the i mean we could have never glassed them where they were at they were literally right below us uh they popped up on the far hillside and kind of started running uh, clearly had got our wind and as I watched the first one I was like eh, eh whatever and then Ryan saw the second one he's like oh he's nice then we saw the third one and I was like oh shoot like that's a that's a ram we need to get back on or at least get you know some some good glass on him and, and see what he is but they never stopped running uh, so they, they went all the way up that canyon and the whole time I'm watching in my 15s just kind of stuck on that third ram um, and I'm like, man, that's 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 a shooter right there for sure. But as I'm watching them run up this this canyon, I'm I'm like, well, I'm kind of, my heart's kind of sinking because I said, there's there's no way we're getting Caleb in here. I mean, he's 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 a bad dude and he can hike, but there ain't no way he's. I think I me with two able body legs and can climb some really nasty shit. There's no way I'm climbing in that either. Uh, so it was kind of like heart sinking to watch them run up over the saddle. So they ran up to the very head of this canyon over the saddle and then drop back off the other side and i started looking at the maps just kind of like okay where could they have gone how could we get back on them because that was up until this point that's one of the better rams i had seen since i'd been there and i know caleb had an inventory of some rams um and some video and i had looked at the video and there was one 
that we wanted to go back and get a second look at that we thought was the more I looked at the video Caleb gave me, I, I said, man, it's a Ram we really need to look at again. But once I saw this Ram on the hook, all that kind of went out the window for me. So like this, this is a really good Ram. Um, and, you know, kept looking at the map and I was just like, I don't, I don't think there's any way, I don't think there's any way to, to get to him. And so we climbed back down, told Caleb what happened, what we saw. And, you know, it was just kind of like crap, man. That was a really good Ram. And I just don't know. I don't know how we find them again. And if I glass them again, I don't know how to get you back up there. Um, so we decided to kind of come back out of that pass uh, and come back out to a real open section where we kind of had a 360 view of a bunch of mountains and a, a bunch of the, the uh, just the faces that some of the sheep had been on. So we're like, all right, let's just go back out there and eat lunch um we'll just chill right there and eat lunch and, and kind of glass from there and and then we'll work for, further into the the uh the unit but while we're eating lunch we're kind of looking at the map again back to where we saw those sheep um and, and ryan smith is like man i'm just gonna walk back over there um and kind of try and glass it from another angle to see if when they came over that that saddle if they're on this you know this south facing slope and you know, he's like, maybe I can just pick him up over there again. So we're like, all right, cool. I'll stay here with Caleb. And me and Caleb were kind of BSing and just talking about random things, talking about nonprofit stuff. And I was like, well, we're here. Let's just glass. So we popped out some chairs after we had ate some sandwiches. And I think we were glassing to what, the South Caleb or maybe the West, the Southwest. Um, yes, it was Southwest. Yeah, I think we were glassing Southwest on a, on a, a nice set of mountains that they were pretty far. I'd say probably probably two miles from us, mile and a half, two miles. Um, we're both sitting there with 15, 56s, just kind of watching. And I see a ram, like, on the very bottom of this mountain, like, very bottom, just kind of working left to right, kind of feeding in some of the creosote. I'm like, man, that's that's not a bad-looking ram. Maybe we should get another look, you know, get the spotter on him. And so Jesse grabbed the spotter and started looking at him and, then we kind of lost him and I don't know, I don't know what he actually did. Um, I don't know if he went higher up on the mountain, dropped lower. I think he actually went higher because eventually he ended up coming back around uh, later. But so we're, we couldn't find him. Basically we had moved, we relocated, we drove the trucks a little further to get more of a head on view of the Canyon that I had saw him in. And at this point we had radioed Ryan and said, Hey man, we got, we got other Rams down here. Just come back over here. Um, so we're all back over there looking. And finally in search of this one Ram I had seen, we find four, was it four of the three others? We find three others on the desert floor, like laying in the sand bedded under a creosote bush. And the one, like the minute Ryan and I both got eyes on the one, we were like, Oh, th there's no way. Um, but it was the Ram that we had, winded that had winded us you know two or three hours earlier uh we're we're certain of it um and it, it made sense where they could have come they just would have had to run all the way across the desert floor which they were booking pretty good and and the way it looks down there it's just little sky islands of mountains so you know once you go over one mountain and down the other that it, it looks like a lot of country for them to cover but they could have easily done it in you know two and a half three hours uh so I, we see these other three rams and we're looking at him and this one ram he just man he looks he's heavy super heavy really dark and they're all bedded perfectly 
the wind's perfect. The topography's perfect. Uh, and, and yeah, I'm just sitting there looking at it and we all kind of agree like, yeah, we should get closer to this group for that one Ram. I'm pretty sure that's the one Ram from the group this morning. And just the scenario is perfect. And, and Caleb, um, I know he was kind of wanting to wait till his other buddy got there and we were kind of waiting till Sunday. We were thinking maybe Sunday's the day. I'll let you go into the, why Sunday's the day, Caleb. Well, to, to add a little, a little backstory to this part right here, which is important to me is, um, I got some amazing people around me, um, that have helped me get to this point as far as teaching me how to hunt, supporting me through this. And one of the dudes, my buddy, Ken, um, he, he offered to come out on this hunt and he had also offered to come out on my elk hunt in September. And because he was working and I was able to hunt through the week, I ended up shooting a good bull on Thursday, on a Thursday night the same exact night that he came in. So he came in just to go recover it on Friday because we had to back out and then pack it out. So it's like, it was really cool, but he didn't get a chance to hunt with us. Now here comes, fast forward to the sheep hunt, same exact thing where he's got to work and I'm able to get out early. Only this time I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to stay on the roads. I'm going to take my time. I want to take some inventory of sheep and I want everybody to be there. And the reason being is because that Sunday, so I went out there on Monday, that Sunday was December 4th, which was my birthday again which also happened to be the tag that I got donated from the guy was tag four out of four. And he told me that his favorite number is 44. Now I'm not superstitious by any means, but it's kind of cool how all that played out. And so I'm thinking to myself, man, I want to, how awesome would that be to shoot a Ram that was donated through this tag on my birthday? So my whole goal is to wait for everybody to get there because of Sunday. And I knew that Ken was coming out and I was like, man, I don't want to have a repeat of what happened last time because he's coming all the way out here and it's a little bit of a ways he had to arrange his schedule and such. So fast forward to where we're looking at this Ram right now. And I'm thinking to myself, we had just planned to take inventory and wait. And all of a sudden we have a big old Ram on the desert floor. That's probably worth checking out and probably worth shooting. And the whole time we're stocking in on this thing, I'm thinking about Ken. I'm like, son of a bitch. I feel so bad. I was like, but at the same time, I was like, every freaking sheep I've seen, I'm looking straight up in the air at him. I was like, I can't pass up this sheep that's on the ground. And it, it happened for a reason. I think like this, I mean, for them to have spooked up and over and down a mountain and across the desert for like two miles and then be on the ground with the wind perfectly towards us with a, a wash bottom right there for us to travel in is insane. Like there's no way that I could pass that up. So, so we're, we're stalking in there. Jesse's on the glass. He's eyes in the sky. The wind is absolutely perfect. These sheep are like laying on the sand, head in the sand, in a little cut. So we were able to scoop close to the mountain and like parallel the mountain, walking up a wash bottom directly to him with the wind in our face. It was, it was like, it couldn't have been perfect. So at this point, I, you know, I'm talking about how sheep hunts are usually supposed to be difficult. At this point, I'm, I'm probably walking, haven't even walked two miles yet which is crazy. And I'm going towards a sheep that's on the very bottom of the desert floor. We get, we get right in the vicinity and we're, we're kind of having some trouble picking up the sheep through the brush cause we're down in the wash. And so Jesse's on the radio rating us, Hey, you know, they're here, they're moving here a little bit. And then the little one saw us and like kind of piqued some interest and bumped up a little bit higher and kept staring at us, but didn't spook. And I'm not sure that these sheep had ever seen a person to be honest with you, but they, um, they didn't spook at all. And, um, so we were glassing and then also we're like in the wash bottom. We're about two, two, 250 yards from, and then Jesse says, Hey, they're starting to move left to right. They're going to make it work at North, which would put them directly in front of us. Cause we were a little offset. 
and they start working their way towards us. And then I see, uh, or Ryan Smith saw a sheep and we started looking at it like, that's a pretty good sheep. That might've been the second biggest one. And so at that point we hadn't seen any of the big one. And so I was looking at him and I'm like, man, you know, he's got some good length to him and he's on the bottom of the floor. I think I might go ahead and shoot him. I'm not sure yet. So we set up the rifle. I start looking at him through the scope. Um, the Ryan, you know, Ryan's, uh, gentry is ranging for me 220 yards or so and i'm looking at him like you know what the because because of like the whole circumstance i think i'm going to go ahead and shoot this sheep because to me like i'm what's important to me is the quality of the hunt like i'm having a good time with good people the situation presents itself it's not a giant record-breaking sheep but it doesn't matter to me um at this point so i i'm looking at the sheep I'm pulling, I, I got around in the chamber, I'm di- dialed in my mills and I'm pulling some slack off the trigger and I'm getting ready and like I'm getting into that zone, <laughs> like I'm about ready to shoot the sheep. And then I hear, stop, 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 stop. <laughs> I was like, what in the hell? And then Ryan Smith was like, hey, the, the big sheep is to your right 20 yards. And I was like, it, it took me, like I had to come out of it. It took me a second. Like I, like you're, it, it's so hard to pull off the trigger when you're at that point. It was crazy. So, I freaking, I, I pan to the right a little bit and then I see the big sheep and I'm like, oh yeah, way better sheep. He a little bit shorter in length, but his mass is there. He's old, he's beat up, he's big. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to shoot that sheep. So then I get all set up, get ready to go. And then he steps out of view. So I was like, oh crap. So we were on that far side of the, the wash. So Ryan, Ryan picked up the the rifle for me and I got up when I had to move to the near side of the wash closer to the sheep to get a better view. And it's, completely yeah, this, wide this out is where I feel like, this is where I feel like an ass, right? Cause I'm, I'm in the zone with the sheep and trying to get Caleb, Caleb <laughs> set up. So I run across the wash with, with my tripod and my binos and I look back and he's sitting there on his ass, like just scooting, trying to get the rifle. I'm like, crap. So I run back over, grab the rifle, grab the tripod. I'm like, you just, just get on my back. I'll just carry you across the wash. Like, and the whole time I'm, I'm in multiple moments, I forget that Caleb has no legs because he is so able-bodied. He is so capable that it's for like these brief moments. I'm like, oh yeah, shoot. He's got no legs. I got to help him. Like, I got to get the rifle. I got to get the tripod. And it, I just, it was funny. But uh, after the fact, I was like, man, I, I feel bad, dude. And he's like, oh, don't worry about it. Like it was, it was just trying to get him set up and get him right. That I forgot that, you know, he's, he, he can't just pick up and run across the wash like I could. Like, and I can't even, um, like, because my knee doesn't bend, I can't even like sit, I can't even sit on my knees to shoot from a tripod like that. I either got to stand or on my butt or in the prone. And it was kind of the terrain wouldn't let us shoot from the prone. It was thick. And so once we, um, so he picked up the rifle and we started going across the wash and I damn near fell in the wash sand. And then as I'm going up the opposite end, I caught my left toe on a bush and I like fell over, did like a, a parkour roll and then ended up like landing perfectly on my butt sitting he puts the tripod in front of me and of course there's a creosote bush right in the way. So I have to scoot again. And this whole time the sheep are just staring at us. And I didn't know this until Ryan Smith let us know at the end, but the littlest sheep actually was so curious. He started walking to us and he got on the flats. He was like a hundred yards or less to us, which is really cool. And would, would totally wouldn't have been a bow kill because it had, had I given the option, I would have loved the archery hunt this, but I didn't know how it was going to play out. But so I'm sitting on my butt and then I see the big one and he's 215. I think Ryan range him at 215 or 220. Yep. End up squeezing the trigger. 215. And put a, put a bullet in him. And then after that, he's just, he's dead. And so he, I mean, at that point he had 
gone up the, the mountain face, maybe 20 feet in elevation, not much. Yep. And so it was just like the perfect scenario. And so when he went down, I was like, just, I was, you get into the zone, like you're, you're completely and utterly focused on exactly what's going on. The blinders are on every, everywhere around you. I didn't even have ear protection in. And I think my body was just so focused on it that I didn't have any ringing in my ears. Like I didn't even think about the sound of the shot. The only thing that matters was making that shot. And then when it was all over and he's laying on the ground dead, it's like you come to almost out of a dream. It's the craziest thing. And so like, I'm just sitting there in shock. And then we're like trying to talk to each other. And I'm just like, holy crap, man, this is just, it is surreal the way it played out. Like couldn't have asked for anything better. If, if I had not driven down the Cabeza Prieta pass and got my truck all scratched up and had Ryan talk me into going all the way, they wouldn't have popped up on that knob and they wouldn't have bumped these sheep who then went up and over a mountain two miles across the floor to another mountain complex. If I had it have been waiting on the rest of my group to arrive I felt like a little bit of a sense of urgency. So that's why we backed out to that main valley to go glass a little bit just before we can link up to them. If I hadn't been waiting on them, we probably would have gone to another area. Like it's just everything happened incredibly perfect. And so that's why I'm saying this was not your, you know, ball buster of a sheep hunt where you're straining and, you know, killing yourself in the mountains. This was like from the moment the tag was given to me, the moment that I met all these awesome dudes and they said they're going to come out, it was 100% meant to be. So it's just, it's crazy. So how far was the final? What, how far was the shot, actually? 215. Okay. All right. No, and no. If I, if I had known, I could have shot him with a bow. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, the, the, the terrain was perfect that we could have stocked in with a bow. He could have got sub, you know, 80 yards with a bow. But the, way, the like, everything was perfect. Just the whole scenario was perfect for him. No, that's crazy. So, like... um I saw the sheep, I, you know, I saw it pop up and, and I already, I, I knew you didn't have any legs just cause I follow along or whatever. I'd seen you before. And then I had a buddy message me. He's like, Hey, look at this sheep this guy got. And I'm like, yeah, crazy, huh? He's got, the dude doesn't have legs. And he was like, what? He like totally fucking overlooked in the photo. Cause he was just <laughs> looking at the sheep. And I'm like, yeah, man, that dude, he did it with prosthetics. He was like, Oh man, I'm never going to complain again. Um, which is crazy how all that had, had panned out. But what do you have, uh, you know, after obviously, you know, that sheep hunt, um, which is pretty hard to top, obviously a big horn, but what do you got coming up oh. now? Is there anything else you're kind of looking at doing in the future? I thought about just quitting well in the head, to be honest with you. <laughs> it's a good really strategy. Better than that. Yeah. I mean, you don't <laughs> want to retire at the bottom like some of those MMA guys do, right? You want to retire at the top. So. <laughs> Dude, this year, this year has been incredible. Like I went, um, I got a Havoline in January and then I went with black rifle and shot two bears with my bow in Canada. And then I shot the bull elk, uh, in September. And then now I have a big more cheap. It's like this year has been just insane. I, if I had gotten an antelope on that hunt in August, I don't even know. It would have been just crazy. But right now, I'm just looking at Arizona opened up their over-the-counter archery, so I've been doing that here. Oh, my goal my goal going forward is to shoot a coos deer with my bow, and I've been kind of watching a couple of them that maybe be a shooter at some point, maybe in a couple of years, but I haven't seen any big ones yet because the rut hasn't kicked on yet. But, um, I mean, I don't have any planned hunts other than just putting in for the draws here in Arizona going forward. Gotcha. 
So, um, like after the the hunt, how much? Um, I'm assuming you had. I don't want to say pester, but a, a bunch of guys get a hold of you, or uh, you know, whatever. Want to hear the story or talk about it? I, I'm, I'm assuming I can. Um, Mike from Black Rifle Coffee, the free range American, he's probably going to want to do an article because I had guys asking. But how, how much have people you know wanted to hear the story? It's been awesome. I know um, Ryan had told me that he's going to be writing an article for for Mike for Free Range, which is really cool. Um, I've never written any articles or anything, but I have uh, next week. I have a podcast lined up with Canis Athlete that Camel Company, and then we did one uh, last week with Late to the Game Outdoors, a local Arizona company and or uh, organization, and that was pretty cool because like you know that's me late to I got adult onset hunting. But, um, the other one, the other one I got going on is I just wrote a real short article for Eastman's about it. So that'll be really cool. Um, t- tell the story. And so far that's it. And I think, um, the only other thing that I might do is when that nonprofit that got me the tag, I might just speak a little bit at their fundraiser here this next year, a little bit about it and help them raise some money and stuff. That's cool. Well, yeah, on that note, let us know how Kafaru can help with that. But uh, on a motivational side of things, obviously, like we had talked about earlier, um, you know, like you, you had said, it, it's, you know, better than, you know, sitting around, you can still get out and, and get after it. Um, you know, for, for people listening in, obviously, you have kind of got around whatever um say issues, but, um, you know, you hit speed bumps, got to kind of figure it out, whatever that may be. Any kind of words of wisdom for that? I'm sure at some point in time you hit a fairly dark place and obviously have come out of it. Um, yeah. Any words of wisdom with that? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a pretty good topic. Um, I mean, so for me, I mean, I've been through some pretty traumatic stuff and the way I look at it is everybody goes through something and it's just, it, it's, it's a matter of how physically apparent it is. Like you can, you know, it's easy for me. I'm an easy sell or it's easy to see, Hey, you went through this, but a lot of people have the, the mental and emotional scars of stuff. But what I've learned is that you, you handle things, everybody handles things differently. And when I was going through recovery back in 2016, I had to be in a hospital or a hospital setting for about a year before I got out of the army. And I remember you have to see all your specialists, your, your orthopedic surgeons, your nutritionists, et cetera. So I had to see a psychologist. And on one of the times I saw him, I was talking about how I'm just like pissed. Like I'm always angry. I don't like looking at myself in the mirror. I hate that I can't run with my daughter who was one year old. I can't hate that I can't do this. And I was like, I'm just angry all the time. And I was like, I don't want to be on any medications or anything, but I just want to talk through it. And he's like, you know, if you think about it this way, like you're, you're as a person, you go through uh, your life and there's a lot of like things that are normal in your life. And if something like this happens to you, that's not normal. That's completely out of the ordinary. And he's like, if you react normally to something like this, that happens, that's unnormal, then, then I'm worried about you because you're not actually comprehending the gravity of it. Like you're not, you're not coming to terms with it. He's like, what happens is you need to be angry. You need to go through this period of adjustment because it sucks. Like you have to figure out, you have to be angry. You have to be sad, depressed about it, but then you, then you have to get through it. You have to figure out because you're reacting, not normally, you have to figure out ways to uh, cope with it that bring you back to normal. So he's like, what, what I want to do is just talk to you later on and see how you're doing and see if you're not, if you're stuck in this rut of just being pissed all the time. And so that kind of stuck with me. So essentially if you're, if you go through abnormal circumstances, it's completely normal to react abnormally because you're not, you're not used to it. So 
from that point on, I was like, all right, well, I want to, I want to get better. And so I'm a, I'm a super goal driven person. Like I have to have something to work towards or else I feel like I'm just floating around in stagnant water. So I started getting into um, CrossFit and adaptive CrossFit and stuff and, and working really hard in the gym. And then the gym allowed me to go do something else, which allowed me to go do, do something else. And so having goals has been one of the biggest saving graces for me because it's, it's, it's I mean, I can relate on a military level to a lot of folks where say you have a deployment or a trip training, whatever coming up, you go through that cycle where you got to plan it and then you got to train for it. And then you actually go and execute the mission or the deployment or whatever. And then you come back and you restart that cycle. So it's this, it's this never ending cycle of things that I want to do and I have to get better for it. And then I learn from it and then I do the next one. I'm better. And so having goals, things to do, things that I want to do in the future has kept me um, as sharp as I can be because I can't, I can't like get dull if I want to do that stuff. So that's why I like hunting. Cause that definitely does that. And then the other thing is when I started getting into adaptive CrossFit, I realized that I was learning a ton and I wanted to help out other people. And I didn't realize what that really meant at that point. But when you, when you do something and say you get really good at something or you learn a lot and you try to help other people through it, you become accountable to them for their pro their progress. So like when I had, little program out of my gym and I had like 20 people coming in and out of my gym seven days a week or seven sessions a week. I was responsible for their progress. I had to be there to train them to help them get their discipline and all that stuff that came along with that. But what happened is I became better because of it. And it was nothing that I had planned on. But when you have people that rely on you through something that you've learned, then you become better because you have to be better for them. And I'll, I don't know, it's nothing that I ever tried to do. Like, I didn't plan on this but it's just happened and I learned through it. So it's, it's been huge. So I would just say to sum, summarize all that stuff, definitely goals are huge. Stick to your goals, have a plan, something you want to do, and then look for a way to be of service to others in any way you can. Gotcha. No, that's, that's good advice. Um, yeah, I do, you know, to add a, like lighten up the situation a little bit. So when you were talking about crossing that little cross, that Creek or that wash, and you said you fell <laughs> yeah. down and rolled like a parkour roll. So I've heard no oh, matter yeah. <laughs> how stupid you look, as long as you yell out parkour after the landing, you're good. Did you yell parkour? <laughs> I think, I think it, it, if it wasn't that, it was one of the other instances, but I've, I'm telling you, I've done it like on that same Idaho trip, <laughs> I, I rolled over and fell over and did this really slow, like almost fall. And then, then caught it and used a tree to brace my fall. And I just yelled parkour and everybody's like, Oh, okay. He's good. Yeah. Otherwise people are like, Oh my God, are you okay? <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, I was told that yeah. by my buddy, like as long as if you eat shit, no matter how bad, like you could roll 40 yards and then like even T-bone off a tree, as long as you say parkour, when you get up, like you meant to do it and you saw it. So <laughs> did you, I just wanted to check if you yelled parkour or not. Oh, yeah. uh, oh hundred percent. And then I, I tell him it's like, it's not a party until I fall at least once. Yeah, that was, that was packing out. We were packing out, and he took a good tumble. He's like, oh, "That's not hard." Oh yeah. Falling. <laughs> oh, I I had the sheep. I had the sheep cape on my back. <laughs> I had the sheep head on my on my pack. And I'm walking through that same freaking wash that tripped me before, except I'm going through the other way. And I tripped, fell in a hole with one leg, and tripped my other foot through a bush. And I like did this sideways. If anybody's airborne, they know what a PLF is—a parachute landing fall, where you like you just do this really slow controlled roll right into the wash. And I yelled parkour at that point. So <laughs> <laughs> mm. 
That is funny. So, so you don't have anything other than the local stuff coming up um, on the radar at this point, anyway. Yeah, not right now. No, I mean, I'll, I'm going to put in for the you know the elk and beer draws and all that stuff. But yeah, there's nothing in the books yet. Yeah, I'm trying to get him out to New Mexico for some stuff too. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm I'm on the out, Dad. I'm spoiled. Ryan does the public land New Mexico thing. I'm like, yeah, fuck that. I want to shoot because <laughs> uh, people will ask me, hey, I, I drew a New Mexico tag uh, for for our Dad. You got any advice? I'm like, yeah, don't talk to me. Uh, I've never hunted out in New Mexico. I, uh, we have a hundred and some thousand acres on the border of Mexico and there's lots of them. Um, it, it sounds like, uh, that hunt, which it, if I, if I was listening or hearing correctly, you went on one of those, Caleb, and I know Ryan, obviously you've been successful. Did, was the one you went on, Caleb, was that in New Mexico or, or refresh me? Cause it, you had kind of glanced over that earlier. Yeah, that was, that was in New Mexico. It was the very first hunt that I had ever done. And it was in just South of Rio Doso, uh, in the kind of in the low mountain foothills. Um, and that was with a rifle and that was the first thing, first thing I ever got. Okay. Uh, that's what I, that's what I had thought. Now, Ryan, you've been on, uh, a bunch of those. You shot your biggest one this year, hadn't you on, on public land out there? I did. Yeah. Yeah, so we hunt the OTC in New Mexico. I've, I've actually never drawn the drawn a tag. So New Mexico has the over-the-counter portion on the west side of a particular unit, and then all the rest of the state is a draw tag. So for some odd reason, you know, my lifelong residency of New Mexico, I've never drawn one. So I've been banished to the OTC, which is just hellacious country, and it's it's horrible. It's hard on your body. The sheep are very sparse, um, but it, it's kind of one of those things you just get addicted to it. Uh, you can hunt it year round. Uh, and so, yeah, I've, I've, man, I've probably killed, I don't know. It's probably at least a dozen in the OTC now. Um, it's just rough country. That's awesome. So Caleb had a, uh, he had one of the draw tags, um, on the Eastern kind of the Eastern portion, which is more the rolling kind of the rolling hill stuff. Um, whereas the West side, the OTC is just straight cliffs, uh, 2000 foot verticals. Um, so it's, yeah, I'm tired of hunting it to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, it's uh it's not for me. No, I mean I don't mind. Like I would I would totally <laughs> go hunt that. I just be like, hey, did you put in for it? I'm like, guys, uh I, I guide for three months straight and we see fifty to two hundred yeah. a day. I'm yeah. probably not gonna head to the OTC area. I don't wanna sound like a bitch, but I just I'm like, hey, we're no. I'm spoiled, so Nope. I don't blame you. I wouldn't either if I had had the other option. Yeah, yeah this year I shot my biggest ram in there. It was cool, and I almost tumbled down a cliff like twice. So I'm gonna yell parkour know, at the shoot end. Your of biggest it. ram and almost die. Yeah, and I wouldn't yell <laughs> anything until I hit the ground like two thousand feet lower. <laughs> uh, that's that's funny. Well, no, that's that's cool. Yeah. Uh, well, not the falling part, but the yeah, the 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 outdad thing pops up <laughs> on my plate. And since I had you guys on here, obviously Ryan hunting them a bunch and I knew Caleb, you had been on one. I figured I'd bring it up, but yeah, I don't, I don't want people have any like false, uh, ideas that I actually go on public land and shoot out dead. Uh, cause there's a ton of photos of them. Um, it's a hard hunt, everything else, but it is not like, like New Mexico, uh, public land OTC. Um, we're, you know, we're seeing 50 to a couple hundred a, a day. So we're kind of lazy and spoiled yeah. on that, but um so who who um who were you with when you were in caleb and, and then what was your mos you were an eight an 18 what 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when I was in, I was with the 19th Special Forces Group, and then I started out as an 18 Echo, um, which is a commo specialty within within the team. And then after that, I went 18 Fox, and that's the um, assistant operations and intel. So I did a lot of intel work um, with the team, all our targeting packets and stuff, and it was just awesome. Love that job. Gotcha. And then Ryan, what do you, can you discuss what you do currently? You're still in. Yeah. So I'm active duty air force, uh, currently in the HN unit. Um, that's pretty much it. Just love airplanes. I'm an airplane guy. So for those listening in, I will relate this to something. If you were watching transformers and the scorpion thing, uh, came out of the sand and they said, Colin, uh, I think they said Colin the hog, Maybe or so the thing yeah. blasting around, circling the scorpion. That is an A ten. Uh, you might have a better. That was the first thing that came to mind was scorpion or Scorpio or whatever the fuck that thing was called on uh, Transformers. Is there a better movie discussing an A ten? Um, I don't think there is actually. No, the old the old whistle pig hog. I don't know. Yeah, I, they're not as. They're well-loved, but I, I don't think they've been in a whole lot of movies. They're not as flashy as the F-22 or anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just I was trying to think of a movie that I, that's the one I thought of first was with Scorpio. They, I don't, as I say that, I'm obviously a dork because I watched Transformers. Did you guys watch that? Help me out here. Am I the only one? Or? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've seen it. Yeah. Don't worry. Oh, yeah. Remember yeah. The, the black dude is a smartass in all the movies? Uh, he's like calling in yeah. a bunch of crazy shit. Like uh, he was a tack P, I guess would have been his. They didn't really go. Over yeah. That. Uh, yeah. And he's like calling in, uh, bring the rain. And then, and then the, the, the warthog came in. Um, okay. I'm not the only <laughs> dork then that watched that. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're all dorks. Mm. That's funny. So what now? So you said you have an archery range um, that you started. So is that your full-time gig now? Yeah, so I, um, I actually, so it's an archery pro shop down in Tucson, and we do all the, the big brands, and then we have a range in the store. It's actually the biggest um, archery shop in Tucson. I'm pretty fortunate to call that my own. It's called Stick Sniper Archery. Um, but I do that, um, you know, weekly and everything. And, and I'm not in there every day. And, and as weird, weird as it is to say, um, it hurts my body and my legs just to be on upright not moving like standing like standing next to a register standing on a counter just like it, it freaking hurts it hurts less for me to be walking around you know it, it seemed contradictory like hey go walk through the mountains and it hurts less than just to stand around so that's so what i do is i i have my dudes that work at the shop and then um i do like all the i do the books and uh like all the online sales and stuff like that through the shop so i'm not there 24 7 but i'm there all the time gotcha i uh no that makes total sense to me because uh I did a seminar recently and got done and my lower back was so stiff and I was, I was making fun of myself. Cause I told my wife, I'm like, I think I'd rather rock 25 miles uh, with 50 pounds than stand there for eight hours. Cause my lower back is jacked up. Um, and so, and I've got my legs. So yeah. I imagine it's even worse standing, obviously not perfect compared to, uh, you know, if you, if you had them. So is it your, mostly your lower back or your hips? Um, mostly lower back. Cause, so, uh, you know, I don't really use my quads and my ankles anymore. So my lower back and my mid back, you get a lot of wear and tear on them and it's that. And then, so lower back, but also like the ends of my legs that sit in my, my sockets, you know, as you just stand, they sink slowly and all the pressure, all the volume changes in your leg. And then those hurt after a while too. But 
it's typically just the back man. So I'm always having to lean on something or sit down. Mm. Do you see a chiropractor much? No, I've never, I've never seen one. I, I probably should, to be honest with you. Um, but, and, and, and this is probably something you guys can relate to, but when my body hurts, I go lift some weights and it's the weirdest thing where if I go, say if I go five days or a week without lifting weights, my body hurts so bad. And then if I go to the gym and I do like a little bit of maybe to do some lightweight de- deadlifts or some pull-ups or something, it's like, boom, it's like just being reset. And I feel so much better. Gotcha. Yeah. That and sauna ice bath and just staying moving, especially as I'm creeping up on, uh, I'm getting a lot closer to 50 than I'd want to talk about. Um, I'm starting to, uh, you know, when the old farts told you when you were young, you shouldn't lift that, get help. And you're like, yeah, fuck you. I'm fine. I don't know. You're not, t- you don't know what you're talking about. And then now I'm that guy. And I'm like, man, I should have listened to that dude. Uh, it's start, start, starting to catch up yeah. a little. Right. Well, Caleb, how old are you? I'm 38. And then Ryan, you're a youngin, aren't you? Are you no, sub- 30? No, I'm 36. You look so young. 36. Uh, um, oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> my shit started to fall apart at 38. Um, I, I would, Caleb, I'd ask you, but you're missing your legs at 38. But the rest of your body, has that started to catch up as well from all the dumb shit you did when you were younger? Yeah, 100%, man. Um, I think actually, I think 37 ish is when stuff really started to hurt. Cause like I got injured when I was 31, my 31st birthday. And throughout then, I'm always, your, your body's recovering, trying to work uh, on growing muscles and get stronger and everything. And I actually felt super strong, really, really good. Probably the strongest upper body in my life in my mid 30s. And now it started to go down a little bit. Um, and I can tell, I can tell, I feel a little bit older and I don't know if I don't really, it's not, I'm pretty open about stuff, but I recently um, went to the doctor and talked about uh, TRT to replacement therapy because I went to him. I was like, Hey, I am active. I do this, 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 and this, I want to do all that stuff until I can't freaking do it anymore. I was like, I want to maintain an edge. And so he, he put me on like a prescription dose of it and he's watching over it. And I feel a million times better a million times. And I didn't know how shitty I felt until I got on it. And, um, this, I got on it in May this year. And when I went on this, this archery, Arizona antelope hunt in August, I, I'm not joking. I walked freaking 60 miles by myself through the country chasing these goats. And there's no way I could have done that and recovered as quickly without it. So for sure, that stuff has been a game changer in my life right now. Well, let's talk about that a little more because I myself got on that in 2018. Um, I've had a few head injuries. They said that can cause like low t- low T. Um, and and mm-hmm. spirit of total honesty, I had done a, a grip of steroids in my late twenties, early thirties, uh, which could have probably caused that as well. But I did not know. I knew I was starting to suffer. Uh, when I say suffer, like recovery, like you know, taking naps at two o'clock, not overly horny, uh, all the things that you know, whatever. And I, actually, listening to Rogan had kind of like, hey, man you know, go check it out. And then I got tested and I was like, Oh man, I, I, I had low test and growth hormone levels were low and free test was low. So it was a game changer for me. And I, I take, um, what is it? 200 milligrams a week. I do like an, a shot and, but my lifestyle is, I'm like a big proponent of it. If you need it, like I'm a big advocate of it. Um, and, and people have asked like, Hey, what if it's shortening your, your life somehow? And I'm like, you know, 
if I'm supposed to live to 80 and I make it to 76, but between 40 and 60, my life is a lot better. I would prefer that, that my good years are as good as they could be personally. Now, maybe I will say something different when I'm 65, 70, but I just didn't want to live like a zombie trying to drink caffeine to stay awake. Is that kind of where you were at? 100% man. Um, and actually you mentioned the head injury thing. I had a buddy who's contracting in Afghanistan and they had a mortar hit real close to where he was at and he got his bell rung super bad. And then he came back and his, his testosterone was close to zero. He had like, he said he was like, he'd watch a movie and start crying. He was feeling like tired all the time, taking naps, just mood swings like crazy. And then he got, he got on it because of a head injury. Now he, I think his head injury improved over time because it wasn't like a super severe one. So he ended up being able to come off of it. Um, but it's interesting about the head injury stuff. But for me, I had a head injury. And so when I got hit, um, I was stepping through a, a doorway and there was a pressure plate IED that I had already walked over, didn't get. And then when I came back, I hit it the second time. And when I got thrown in the air, there was a big crater that I landed in. And so my neck, like between my head and my shoulders, my neck landed on the corner of the crater. So my neck got snapped back and I hit my helmet on the backside of the crater and my bell got rung and they, I mean, they, I, they did all the tests and they said I didn't have any severe TBIs, but recently, like I've been noticing just, or before, before all the, before I went on TRT, I've been noticing just being incredibly tired. And I don't know if it has to do with the, my brain injury or if it's just age and overusing my body, but it's the same thing you said. Like I would do one thing and by 11 or 12 o'clock, I'm like, dude, I need to go to sleep for like 15, 20 minutes. And I need another cup of coffee and I need another cup of coffee. And I don't have the energy to do what I want to do. And um, so I had my uncle and a couple other people that had been talking to me about it in town. I talked to another spec ops dude and he's like, yeah, man, I've been on it for years. And I, he's only like 39. So I went and talked to the doctor and he, and he tested my numbers and my numbers were good. They were in the 600 range. Um, and, and for anybody that doesn't know, like the spectrum of numbers can be like a hundred all the way to over a thousand. Like that's, that's a spectrum. And then like, from what I understand, a normal range is 300 to 900. So it's like the, the variety of numbers you could have is huge. And the doctors don't have a historical precedent for what you've had over the years. So they can't say, well, you're high or low. They just say, well, did you fall between three and 900? Okay, you're good. But the thing is, is that there's also, that's your, that's your total testosterone, but there's also your, your free, uh, your free testosterone. And so from what I understand, I might have to fact check myself, but the free is like a v vehicle to transport your, your total testosterone to your body. You're a hundred percent correct. Cause if yeah. your free test is low and mine was fucking rock bottom, uh, in my other test yeah, was fairly too. low. You're basically, it's like having uh the way it was explained to me, um, not to interrupt, but but on the free test, you could have all the gas in your engine or all the gas in your fuel tank you want, but if the uh, delivery system from that to your engine is jacked up, it's kind of the layman's way to explain it of you may have all the tests in the world, but if it's not delivering it to your system, it doesn't matter. Yes. And, that, and that's, that's exactly it, how I was like, I had normal free or normal total, but my free testosterone was low. So we, what he told me is like, that's why you're feeling like such crap right now. And so, um, I look at it the same way that you do, Aaron, like I, I want to live my, 
my life the best I can while I have it. Because for me, it's real apparent that someday I'm not going to be as active as I am now. And I'm not going to be near as mobile unless for some reason, science decides to 3d print me some body parts, but in the unlikelihood of that actually happening, I want to, I want to, I want to live my life and be happy right, right now. And I don't want to, I don't want to be like, well, I want to survive until I'm 90 being in a coma or whatever. So I, I told the doctor, I was like, I want to have an edge. I want to have the better edge, the best edge that I can going forward and whatever that may be. So I think that there is a stig, like a stigma um, because, you know, when we were younger, everybody, you know, the Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger just blowing through massive amounts of steroids and then all the health issues that could come from it, from that stuff when you're doing it unsupervised, you're doing tons of amounts solely for gym gains. But from, in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to do it under a doctor's supervision. I'm going to do it low enough levels. that will just keep me on my A game for the long term. So that's kind of just my outlook on it. Let me add a little bit to that. Just coming from, you know, having done, you know, the, the word steroid is like really blanketed over all kinds of shit. And so yeah. when you're talking about D-ball, Anavar, like, you know, obviously ananthate sus, the, the actual testosterone and then the anabolic, whether it be Ecopoise or Deca, D-ball, Trinable and all this other shit. Yeah, you're taking all that and you're purple, right? And you're not shrivel up to the size of a fucking pea. Yes, that is steroids. If you're taking TRT, <laughs> you are just putting yourself back to where you should be uh, organically or where, where your body should be, whether it's uh, genetics, right? You just have low test genetically, head injuries, whatever. So like, and I've had, pe- there's like forums and shit where people talk shit about like even me or I'm on steroids and it's like, well, you say whatever you want. I'm not getting off one, two, doing 200 milligrams of, you know, whatever sus 250 a week to put me back to a normal level where I should be. That is not taking steroids or what the world blankets it as. And I get it. Like, I understand, especially if you're a hater, but the reality is, is what I worry about. And I think from speaking with you, you would agree is someone that needs that shit that is having trouble at home is maybe getting like more aggressive because lower people always think you do test and you're going to get super aggressive. If you keep your levels where they shouldn't be normally meaning, and in my opinion, would be like seven to nine for a 40 year old, a hundred, Um, If they're really low, you can be a grouchy motherfucker all the time. You can be tired or you can be really, when I say aggressive, like mood swings and, and then your sex drive, your wife's going to think you don't love her anymore. Cause you know, well, your wiener just doesn't work because you're not horny. It doesn't have anything to do with your wife. And so I hate for people to be worried about (laughs) that because of the public perception, because it's definitely worth it if you, if you need it. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you would agree with that. 100% man and I can say from my personal experience there's been zero like you know the aggression or any of that stuff because I had a a buddy that I trained with in the gym he done it he did a ton of steroids when he was younger he told me stories about getting into fights at bars and flipping over pool tables and I told him I was looking at this and he was like just be careful man you may be angry all the time and there's been zero change in any kind of like anger at all. Like I'm not angry. If anything, I can say that I have a little more patience and tolerance for like, I got two girls under 13 dogs, cats, business, nonprofit stuff. And if anything, it helps me to cope with stuff better. Cause I feel like I'm like a, just a more temper my temperament is a lot better and I'm not tired all the time. So if I'm not tired all the time, I'm not getting grumpy. Now, I, I'm, yeah. I'm, and, and I I'm can attest you. to it as someone, 
I, as someone who's not on it right now, uh, being active duty and I'm, I'm doing a lot of blood panels right now with, with my doctor and stuff like that. And, and I'm not on that stuff. And I can tell you right now that there, there is mood swings, there's aggression. I have test issues. Um, we're trying to get it worked out, but yeah, like as someone who isn't doing it, I can tell you right now that seeing Caleb and seeing people who are on it are in a much better place than where I'm at, not on it, uh, with the mood swings and kind of being grouchy and, and irritable with stuff way easier than, you know, someone who is doing that. Yeah. And this podcast is obviously turning a different way than I figured it would, but fuck it. If it helps people, <laughs> you know, the, the thing that I think people should really look at, um, you know, with this is, 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 is improve. Um, you're not going to get aggressive if your levels are in that, I say seven to nine, that's my own redneck. The right opinion. zone. The yeah. right zone. You will actually be um, less aggressive, less moody. A hundred percent. Like this is scientifically proven, right? Like this isn't me guessing, right. like you will be in a better mood. And the, the other thing too, is it's your, your recovery, like your, your, your motivation to go do, like, you know, if it if I'm like, oh my god, I gotta go shovel the driveway. Where ten years ago, I'm like, fuck, it, I'm gonna shovel the driveway. It's a good workout. Well, now if I'm like, oh, I gotta shovel, I'm right. like fucking Eeyore all the time, and like a cloud is over me. That's bad. And if you're saying I can take something that would make me feel better about that is bad, I just think it's it's wrong. I mean, I think you should be open minded looking at it. Absolutely. And for, and for me, um, at the end of the day, this kind of stuff allows me to be strong enough and recover quick enough to go do, go hunt is, which is what I love. And, and it makes me better for my family because I'm not all tired all the time. So it's a win for me. And I know it's not ever for everybody, but in my situation, it's been a godsend. Nah, no, a hundred, hundred percent. And I, you know, again, I think that, um, you know, with, with all of this or whatever, whether it be TRT or diet, nutrition, like, you know, anything you can do, I, I'm really getting to this. Like I said, as I'm pushing closer to 50 is, man, what really wasn't important when I was 30 is pretty damn important now. Meaning like I didn't stretch ever. And that is catching up to me. I, I got to wipe from the front. Like I fucking have zero flexibility <laughs> and joints are starting to hurt. Like I go to reach back and grab something out of the back of my seat, have to pull the truck over because I'm not flexible enough. Anything you can do to like increase that, um, I think is, an, an, you know, an important. And I mean, obviously with beating yourself up for years, as you get later on in life, you start to look at things like I'm looking at yoga. Please no one laugh to help. And I'm thinking, yeah, I would have made fun of myself. Now I'm like, you know, yoga doesn't sound that bad. It's plus there's hot chicks in yoga. It's like a win-win. <laughs> yeah. hundred percent, man. I agree with all of that. Uh, so I, I don't want to leave this on for, you know, forever, but as far as your archery range, you said it's stick sniper. What's the location exactly of that? Where can they find it? Is it on Instagram and where can they kind of follow along uh, with you guys as well? So, yeah, Stick Sniper Archery is in Tucson, Arizona. We're on Facebook and Instagram as Stick Sniper Archery. And then the website, sticksniper.com. Um, we're a full-service pro shop, so we have um, Bowtech, Hoyt, PSE, Matthews, Raven Crossbows, and Diamond Archery. We sell them all. Oh, and Prime. We do Prime. And so we got service sales, and we got a, um, a pretty big range here indoors. Um, so it's pretty awesome. And then for me personally, I'm on Facebook and Instagram is CK Brewer. Gotcha. Ryan, do you want to throw your stats out there for everybody to come visit you and ask questions? Sure. Yeah, hit me up with questions all day long. Um, yeah, so Ryan the Creature on Instagram. 
um, been on there a while. Uh, and then I feel like it'd be, it'd be appropriate to, to give a shout out to the nonprofits that kind of made this possible for Caleb. And then the, the nonprofit we're, we're taking guys on the hunt in, uh, January with, uh, so Noden's outdoors, it's, you know, Noden's outdoors on Instagram. Like I said, it, it takes special operations veterans and transitions them from service into learning archery and bow hunting. And then the nonprofit that donated Caleb, the tag there local to Arizona. Um, what was it again, Caleb? It's called, it's called outdoor experience for all um, oh, headed up right. by the student Eddie Corona and they are fucking amazing. They are absolutely amazing. And this, this guy, he hustles and networks. And last year he facilitated almost 600 tag transfers just in Arizona to disabled kids and disabled veterans. Like that's how, that's how good these guys are. So highly recommend them for anybody that has a disabled kid or a disabled veteran to contact them because they have tons of hunts and they have to burn a lot of them pretty often. Cool. Right on. Well, man, I appreciate you guys hopping on. I appreciate obviously your guys' service um, and what you're doing for the country. Um, and Caleb, that's a fucking hell of a story um, for what happened and you to come back, have an archery range, obviously also getting after it and being a late, you know, kind of an onset hunter um, and getting after it now. So again, thank you guys for your service. Thanks for hopping on the podcast. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you, man. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thanks for your time, dude. Oh, yeah. Anytime. We'll have to all try to link up for a hunt at some point. Not public land, New Mexico, Audad, something much fucking cooler than that. <laughs> I will link no, it no, up. No, I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm done with it. Yeah. Uh, I'm done with it. Oh, shit. Well, right I on. I finally killed my biggest ram so I can retire. <laughs> God, well, well, there you go. That's the bet. Retire when you're on top. But, uh, but yeah, thanks again. Yeah. We'll link something up for a hunt, guys. I appreciate it. No problem. All right, thanks, thanks Aaron. Aaron. Take it easy.